Hello everyone, I am Harry Foku and I connect businesses in the gaming industry with freelance tech solutions and I'm your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organization. Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Krista Sutherland, Daniel Masanura, Kat Woolley and Tone Brennan to discuss what it takes to succeed in the gaming industry. Before we begin, let's start with some introductions. Krista, do you want to kick us off? Yes, I and thank you for inviting me, Harry. Uh, I'm Chris Sedlund. Uh, I work at the Vocational School Future Games. I've been here for about four years. And uh, at Future Games, we are kind of the last bridge between education and coming into the industry. Uh, I've been working in education for almost 14, 15 years now uh, at university and upper secondary school and vocational school. Daniel, how about you? Yeah, um, also thank you for inviting me. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm the studio manager for uh, Toadman Interactive for our offices in Berlin and in Stockholm. Uh, I joined the company to open up the Berlin office and then recently also took over the responsibilities uh, for the Stockholm office. Um, so the company has been around for nine years, uh, me in them for the last four and a half, um, and we tend to make premium multiplayer games for PC and consoles, but not exclusively. Lovely. Tone, how about you? Yeah, hello. Uh, my name is Tone. I am the studio manager for MAG Interactive's Brighton studio. Uh, MAG are Stockholm-based, but also have a, an office in Brighton. Uh, we're a mobile developer and publisher, most well-known for making uh, word games and puzzle games like uh, Ruzzle and Wordbrain and Wordsy. Um, and I have been at MAG for just coming up for two years um, and have been working in mobile games for about 15 or 16 years. Nice. Decades. Kat, how about you? Hello, um, my name's Kat. I'm the senior producer for Unity Learn uh, as part of Unity Technologies, the uh, real-time 3D development platform. Uh, I am my job is basically being glue. I like to say because uh, I spend the whole time sticking projects and people together mostly. Brilliant! I'm excited for this one. All right, let's start with Krista. What is your question and the context behind it? Yes. So my question is: Do you need a degree to make it in the games industry? And uh, that's a, always a fun question because I have worked my career in, in education. So I can't wait to see what you kind of think about that. All right, Daniel, what do you what do you think? What are your thoughts? Uh, oh, first one, it's a, <laughs> um, I uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very torn on, on, on the on the topic, to be honest. I think kind of like my my cop out uh, is going to be that I think for the right, for certain people, the right schools are a good choice, but I definitely don't think that you need a degree to make it in the games industry. Um, um, quite on the contrary, I think a lot of very talented people come out of uh, completely no education or at least no like formal education. Um, I think, for example, modding communities and just everything that you can find online. Uh, there's just a lot of amazing resources that are completely available. Um, but um, and then also a games education is not born equal. There are good games educations. Uh, Future Games is one of the good ones, uh, Krister. Um, so hats off to that. Um, but there are definitely schools out there that aren't worth the time and money um, that is spent on them. 
Um, and then my extra extra uh, cop out on that uh, is that um, I probably wouldn't have really gotten into the games industry if I hadn't had a um, a degree because um, when I when I graduated, I basically I, I graduated right in like the the biggest impact of um, the uh, financial crisis in in 08. Um, and basically, there was no jobs to to, to be got in uh, in Europe. Um, so I got an offer in China, and I wouldn't have been able to get that offer if, if I hadn't had a master's degree, because then I qualified to be kind of like specialist uh, in games. It sounds very <laughs> sounds very fancy. So so I feel very much like um, I don't know. It's it was a uh, I don't know. I feel very torn about the topic. Yeah, it depends. Good answer. No, I'm kidding. Tone, uh, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I had the same, the same kind of thought, I guess. I mean, what, when I was kind of thinking about my notes for the question, I, first of all, I wrote no with a big exclamation mark because I was like, no, of course you don't need a degree. Um, but you've got to admit there are disciplines, elements where it's advantageous, but, um, and it depends on, on what you're doing. Um, it might mean, let's say you don't have a degree, it might mean you've had to do a lot of work yourself, get your skills up to speed and that might mean you can bring a fresh perspective to something uh, whether that's design or art I think some disciplines like programming there's probably um, a pretty clear advantage in having been taught in a more standard way so that um, that means you can join a team there's less risk in you um, coming in and not being able to work on a project or, or get up to speed with the team very quickly but you could argue that a talented junior could pick the, themselves this up themselves while they're um, while they're getting mentored. So it's 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 really variable. Uh, I think the uh, the the kind of disciplines where you're least likely to need a degree, and where I've seen some kind of great successes are the software disciplines like production or marketing, um, where you need these kind of harder to quantify people management wrangling glue skills like 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 Kat said uh, like can you motivate a team can you make sense out of chaos or can you shuffle a, a team towards a goal it's quite hard to to get a degree in that really but maybe if you did a non-related degree it shows you've got a kind of a, a resilience and an eye for detail that would be useful um I don't think it's essential you need a degree I think it's probably advantageous but i wouldn't want anyone to um to feel like they couldn't make a success out of something because they haven't been to uni how about you kat i think it all comes down to experience so if you are a really driven person and you can gain that experience that you would get potentially at university then you'll be fine, right? Because when I'm looking at a candidate CV, I want to see that they can do the skills and the tasks that I will set without having too much training. So I want to see that they can work in a team and I want to see that they do have a good portfolio with a range of skills and good communication skills and good written skills and all of that. It doesn't really matter to me what area they're going into. I need them to be able to slot into my team nice and easy. Whether you have that qualification on your CV doesn't really matter to me it matters that you can do the job essentially um, 
I think the experience that you get from a hands-on degree can provide that for you without too much effort to organize like you could do game jams you could work on your portfolio you know in between a part-time job but it takes a lot of effort on your part to get that level of experience up to the same whereas if you go to a university who would provide all that for you you know work on this project within this team you know you've immediately got experience working with other people who might not want to do the same project who might work at different speeds different levels there's so much that university can offer especially in games but alternatively if you've done a degree in something like history where you get a very you know linear traditional degree that's not going to give you that level of experience that you might want in games which I mean I haven't got a games degree um, and I know a few people who don't either and it's it's a really good industry for being able to kind of slot in with a lot of previous experience not necessarily games dependent so if you've got one of those like linear degrees you're going to have to get that experience to get into the industry but not necessarily it's really like it's like this isn't it the whole time there is no yes or no answer to this brilliant question Um, yeah, I thought it was uh, the one of the issues I've had with people coming from certain game degrees is the it's almost like a cognitive dissonance between what they've learned about how games are made and then the reality of of when you know what is it like in the in a team, especially in mobile games as a service. So I have in the past had some really valid viewpoints brought up by by. Um, by graduates who join us who can see that we've been you know quite frankly by you know any form of methodology doing it wrong but we're doing it in the way that works in the right context to get the the game out and if you are um sometimes depending on the graduate or depending on the course they've been on that adaptation can be quite quite difficult to um to get with with what the the real working practices are like just curious what does krista think yeah uh, thank you all uh, first uh, off to for your answers uh, uh my short answer is no you don't need a degree at all uh almost with an exclamation mark uh but digging a bit deeper in, into what, what like a school can offer you and like you said Daniel it, it depends on what type of the school and, and the quality of the school but I, I see a lot of our students come in thinking like okay I want to learn programming or I want to learn design or you know whatever uh, and sure that's part of it but that's also quote unquote the easy thing to, to actually learn. Um, being a vocational school we actually about 30% of our students come from university because that doesn't push them into the industry. Uh, so we, we like to think of ourselves as the last bridge between like student industry. Uh, so what we actually try to do is take your preconceived notion of what you need to know to get into the industry and put them through challenges and experiences that matters. Of course, it's still, still a simulation of, of how the industry works. Uh, but we like the benefit in my mind of, of a school uh, is, you know, putting you through working with people because that's difficult making games together. Um, so we want them to like experience conflict and manage that and and manage your expectations and uh, 
what do you do when you have different points of views on what you should make and all, all of that. Uh, that I think is the one thing you can't do alone. You can do game jams and, and work together, uh, but we bring in the industry to, to mentor our students to like, okay, this happened, how do you deal with that in a professional environment? So we actually have the industry with us all the time. Uh, so teamwork, I, I would say is number one. Uh, being a student at a good school also means you learn faster. We cut away the unnecessary crap, sorry for the language, but I mean, we're, we're gonna skip the unnecessary part that just doesn't matter. Like th this is what the industry wants you to know and, and we're gonna skip the, the bad parts that doesn't really matter. Uh, so in a way it's faster uh, and it can also help with discipline because you have to deliver. Otherwise I will come there and, and I will critique you in a, in a nice way. <laughs> um, and I think for future games, it's also like our network because about 15% of the Swedish industry consists of our alumni. We have people in like almost all uh, companies in, in Sweden and now we're branching uh, overseas as well. Um, and some people just like need to have a connection with the industry uh, and help with networking. Um, and I think those three things are the main benefits really of, of having uh, going attending to a school. But do you need it? No, but it's gonna be easier, I think. Uh, but it all depends on the school. And I mean, uh, as soon as we, you know, talk to applicants, uh, we also tell them like, you need to research more schools, not only like future games. You need to look into the game assembly, Foshberg University, uh, you know, all levels of school, and, and find like the right fit for you. We do our things our way, and of course I'm biased, and for me that's a, a really good way, uh, but it might not be the, the right fit for you. Uh, because, I mean, it's not about us as a school telling you this is who you need to be to come in, into the industry. We want to broaden our students' horizon and see, okay, this is what you think you know. Because a lot of the students, like they know about DICE and Ubisoft, great companies, of course. But what's the difference between uh, working at a big company versus a small company? Can we explore that and see where you actually would fit in? So, so we try to help them and guide them. Okay, where do you actually want to be, and how can we assist you in getting there? So the heavy lifting is, of course, on the students, and we are more guides to try and help you find your way into the industry. I like that because it's kind of you're doing two in one there. You're not going to throw them in the deep end. You're going to do the networking as well. And it's kind of built in because I know you do internships at a current company and a lot of them start working there as well. Daniel, what do you think? Yeah, I I, I want to say like I also like I really agree with with Kat that it's um, that it really depends on like when you say like is, is a degree necessary? It's kind of like it it really depends on what the degree is um, because it's it's very different from just studying something outside of games in university versus something that is very vocational and very sort of like oriented towards um, getting into the industry. Um, and then I think one of the benefits that that I had from my games edu education was that um, it it created that very fast networking that you were like you were put into a group um, of people with very diverse skills. Um, so some people were artists, designers, and coders, um, and 
and in that way you can it felt like you can very quickly multiply your own talent because you could get people in the group that could do the things well that you couldn't um and that kind of like lifts uh, at the end of the day your portfolio because you can create something that is that is better than you'd be able to create alone because you can get someone in there that can that can handle the different aspects of a of a student project um obviously again like if you go online and you apply yourself and uh, you can get into a modding community and you can do exactly the same thing, um, I think it's just for most people, it's easy to do it through um, through like a program. Um, I think one of the uh, one of the things that, that you get from a good course now, I, li I like the sound of, uh, of how you work, Christo, is kind of is kind of cutting cutting through the the, the the noise into what's actually gonna gonna work when you get there it might be because i'm old and, and, and cynical sometimes but i often kind of when when uh i've spoken to you know children of of friends who's who's they want to go and work in games or or even sometimes fresh graduates there, there's an element of or not fresh graduates fresh students there's an element of um <laughs> I guess being prepared for what you are going to learn. There, there's the difference between um, learning how to model, learning how to program, or learning how to produce on, on, a, on a test project with students, and and what's going to happen when you graduate or when you go to work somewhere. One of my favorite uh, kind of sayings is is kind of you know you might like sausages, but would you like to work in a butcher's? And it, it can be similar sometimes for um, for for making games. You know, you may find that actually you prefer playing games and enjoying the content rather than um, than committing yourself to to making them. I've been chatting to um, a the son of the woman who works with my mother recently. Is <laughs> that like a tenuous link? But. Um, yeah, mum mentioned to her friend at work that I work for Unity and she said, well, my son is interested in animation, but he's he's at university at the moment uh, doing a games course and he's not sure if he wants to stick at it or not. Would I have a chat with him? So I chatted to this guy. He's 26. So he started university like slightly later and he's I think he's halfway through his second year now and he's kind of having doubts. And I thought it was really, it's really well timed with this podcast. Um because I was able to sort of say, all right, so you're in a situation now where you have got those people around you. But at the same time, do you have the drive to be able to put yourself through all this stuff that you would be able to be given at university ultimately? So I'm going to check in with him in June to see how he can see how he is, because by then he'll have sort of figured out what he wants to do. Um, I think what you're doing at Future Games is incredible because you're actually doing industry level information like feeding your students industry level information which i feel a lot of universities don't do that that concept of like once you're out of school you're going to have to earn money and you're going to and this is how to do it really and truly and not just like here's a qualification um i think you can get really thrown with traditional universities when they don't do that and i sort of feel like this is what this this guy is coping with um because he didn't have a portfolio and he didn't have a LinkedIn page. And I threw him obviously over to Unity Learn. If I'm going to do a plug because this is my opportunity <laughs> to say, you know, you can do all this stuff at home, but it takes a lot of time and it would take time away from your course or away from your work. Um, 
but yeah, I'm interested to see how he he pans out because he is literally in that middle ground right now. Like, do I need my degree to get a job in games? Like it all works in harmony, you know, like Unity Learn. If I'm a person who wants to improve my skills in Unity and I'm in a course, I'm not going to ignore Unity Learn. I, it seems very silly, right? But <laughs> if I'm, yeah, absolutely. But then again, if I'm just doing, let's say, Unity Learn, yes, the networking effect of university is great. But like everyone has mentioned, that is attainable, although difficult, it is attainable. So if you're willing to put in that drive, um, there's always a way. So I feel like, yeah, we don't need a degree. That's a kind of difficult, that's an easy no on that one. But would it help? I think for most people, it's a very good option. Krista, any final thoughts on this question? Uh, yeah, I was kind of like, uh, uh, first of all, making some ads myself, like we're opening up uh, animation <laughs> education at Future Games, uh, hopefully uh, 2023. Uh, uh, but otherwise, I mean, uh, about the point of starting a bit later, uh, I think that's actually good because I think to really make use of an education, of course, we, we have young people coming directly from upper secondary school and they are brilliant. Uh, but the, the people who tend to do the most of the education has been out there. They have had a really bad job and, and they, they have something to fight for. So, I mean, I, I can strongly suggest that go out there and experience not being able to pay rent a, a month and, you know, go pick apple, apples in New Zealand and, you know, live rough a bit so you, so you get that hunger. Uh, then you are extremely ready to, to really make the most out of an education because it's all about mindset. It's not about grades. I mean, of course, uh, we have the government government's requirement, but I mean, if you are not ready uh, to to use us uh, for your benefit, uh, then you won't make much use of the education. So, so it's all about your mindset, and you need you need the hunger to to really make the most of it. I like it. I feel like if you're a student, listen to this. That is a lot of food for thought. Awesome. So let's move on to our next question. Uh, Daniel, what is your question and the context behind it? Uh, yeah, so my question is mainly about like um, kind of uh, game specialization and sort of uh, insiders versus outsiders. Uh, so it, it still kind of ties into the to the student question a little bit, um, but it's basically this sort of um, the way that I see it, this kind of like interesting conflict in the games industry between the sort of um, idea that, okay, like as a studio and as a team, you should stick to the same genre and then basically just grind it out uh, and basically keep learning um, from what you're doing. Um, and then you have this, uh, I'm sure, uh, numerically uh, very low, um, but but these like outsiders that have never made a game like this before. They might even be like a student team, and then they just like really throw a curveball at the industry, and it it really blows up. Um, and I I I, I realize that this is probably more common in sort of like the more indie space. Uh, not like no one just out of school makes a AAA game, um, but but I still find it like a, a very interesting dynamic, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I'd like to start with Tone because I think he's going to have a few opinions and then I'll, after that I'll open it to the floor. So Tone, what are you thinking? Yeah, um, I do have some opinions actually. Uh, <laughs> it was, um, I was thinking about this because there are, there are times when 
in it, it, it's really beneficial if you've got genre specialization, right? It, it saves a ton of development time. And I'm a big fan or 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 evangelist or proponent of of you know design or spec out what you don't know how to do. And if there is something that's known, then use it because um, there's there's so much stuff that is a common knowledge amongst uh, amongst gamers in terms of uh, UI or, or or interface and stuff or shops and mobile games perspective or how to implement a a leaderboard or, or stuff like that, which which mean the team can then focus on the core gameplay. They can focus on on what's what's interesting and what's um what's what's exciting for them to do rather than having to design a chat system or something i, I realize i'm kind of i'm spinning around the edge of the gameplay but um it, it all takes time and it all takes effort from a team um and you want to choose your your innovations carefully um and if you are a specialist as a different genre then that means you can you can you can get feel quickly um, you can kind of get to the right point in there quickly. And then that, again, that frees you up to try and define what's new. Um, I had an example that I thought of where I was, um, I was a producer on a, on a, a kind of futuristic football prototype. And it was a super talented team. They knew what they were, what they were doing. They were working, you know, really, really hard, really, you know, working their guts off to, um, to, to try and get this in, in place, but they weren't, fans of sport genre or sport game. They could look at um, FIFA, for example, or another game, and they could see the component parts that were all happening, but they couldn't, it just took more time to um, to get the feel right when it came to to the ball physics or tying the animations together or, or the reactions. And, and the result was that didn't feel great because these guys were trying to um, to to reproduce something which was really really known, and you would have been much better off either focusing on where their specialization is, or um, or trying to uh, give them the chance to innovate more around that that particular thing rather than to try and, and replicate something. So, generally, I think it can be a real benefit and a bonus for a team because it can save a bunch of time. But you've got to be clear that if you are going to innovate, I think in a project, you've got to be clear where you're trying to innovate and try and hypothesize what you're going to learn if it doesn't work out. I think it gives the kind of mandate to experiment and the mandate to fail for a team, then they can do something potentially exciting. Yeah, uh, on that topic, uh, I think, of course, this is from my point of view as an educator mostly, uh, but I think you can go with the safe route, uh, true and tested, and you will make a good game, but you might not reach a great game because people played it before. And then you have pure innovation, and pure innovation is risky. You might succeed, you maybe not, and I like to not starve and have a ceiling over my head. Uh, so I, I, I think a, a great successful game happens somewhere in the middle but where you you use a strong foundation of, of history and experience and you bring in new people to, to give new blood to, to something you can bring out new ideas and that's where you maybe end up having a, a great game with some some new elements uh, in it and so you need to mix it up a bit and and 
there is a sweet spot where you will have like you can use your past experience and you can also make something new or be inspired by something you've seen that have succeeded before. We have this um, this ethic at Unity um, fail forward, which basically just encourages people to give things a go, which is something I'd not really um, encountered at other companies. It really frees you up to just experiment um and in previous iterations of my team before we got um much bigger we would uh, come up with projects as a, as a team you know into in one room and just literally talk to each other and say what should we do next which was always really exciting because of this fail forward we're going to give it a go what can we do together and we'd you know mark it out on a huge whiteboard and look at what we had already and then we'd look at what users have been asking for and even if that was completely mad, they're always asking for FPSs and we try to make everything as like school friendly as possible. So we try and kind of um, tweak it so that it was, you know, as nonviolent as possible, but still essentially an FPS. Um, we'd always try and listen to the users and their voices and what they're looking for. But it was also combined with intuition with what hasn't been seen recently. And we're all gamers, so it's finding that kind of pocket. But having that ability, that freedom and that, as you say, like the no ceiling thing um, is just so freeing. Uh, and I'd encourage anyone in life generally, I think it's really good to just give it a go, you know, give it a crack. Uh, I'm interested to hear, like, how do you deal with that in your different companies? Like, do you have game jams where people can scoof out and, and let's see what we can make uh, out of it? And I mean, if it turns into something like this is a, a solid idea, do, do you kind of invite that to be a, a real project? Yeah, we do. I mean, we do at Unity. We have hacks, we have um, hack weeks uh, for each team. They have to be organized, obviously, in the last couple of years. I don't think it's happened quite as much, but um, a lot of the time, big hack weeks where you just take an entire week and, and teams away just to kind of go through things. Um, we've had lots of projects actually been worked on by other teams in the company uh, who just want to explore and experiment um, and game jams as well. They're really, they're just so great at uh, driving community as well. Um, yeah, we have uh, uh, mag jams at um, at Mag every six weeks, so that's where the whole company gets a chance to form new teams, try and uh, experiment in different uh, genres. Sometimes we theme them, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we give workshops; people can learn new skills, and it gives people a chance to to experiment. When it comes to making new games, also we have you know the small teams who are building prototypes and it could be within a, a, a theme or a genre it could be okay so we want to do something uh, new and exciting in in word games for example so let's play with some different core mechanics and and, and see what sticks so we um we try and give people the um the the freedom to to experiment and to try new things that's i, mean, I think largely it's still within Mag's genre specialization. We that we um it, it's a it's a bigger ask for a group of people to try and do something that's far outside of their their experience or that's far outside of what Mag could do. But it could always lead to something interesting uh, and, and exciting. Uh, I think similar to what Kat was saying. I think we the, I like the idea of that fail forward. We try and um just make sure that we know 
what we'll learn if it fails, you know, because we're, we're, we're kind of realistic. Most things are going to fail. So if we do learn, how does that educate us? How can we try something different or iterate or pivot around that if it looks like there's something promising? Yeah, um, we actually also have something similar. So we have um, like hack uh, and like personal development days um, where it's either sort of like project focused so that people can try out different things for the project, like um, using Houdini to um, populate like a level, um, but also like the personal development days we have are completely uh, freewheeling. So there's no people can do whatever they want uh, and uh, I think this is kind of like trying to, it's a little bit uh, jumping in on, on Krista's point before, that is like, this is one of the days where it's really, really up to people to kind of like seize the value of it. Um, so we, like, since there's no, there's no obligation that it has like, like a monetary value to the company. Um, so basically that um, we have uh, our like lead level designer, for example, is just drawing because he wants to be better at freehand drawing. Uh, and then others are like working on like improving their VFX skills, which is like a more tangible sort of like day-to-day um, -day, um, skill. Um, but I think this is something that's been really positive for us and something that people really enjoy because you get to go outside of your normal um, your normal workload um, without sort of like the the kind of like um, looming deadline that like okay this actually also has to work and you have a delivery uh, and you have to learn this new skill and 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 deliver on it uh, at your first try so it's more like a open-ended one lovely like that all right let's change direction slightly so Kat what is your question thank you I have to look it up again <laughs> so my question is culture fit is a term bounded about, especially in games. Is there something specific you look for when interviewing for candidates? Um, I'm particularly interested in this because uh, I have seen over the years um, a multitude of people, but they all seem to fit within games in a very similar culture fit bracket. We're all very, we're all of the same ilk. Um, PLU is what my aunt used to say, like people like us, you meet people and you think, yep, you're you're one of mine uh, but it's interesting because when you go to different industries you find that those people are different they're all you know different culture fit and I just wanted to know as uh, fellow um, hire, uh, hiring managers what you look for and whether there are certain boxes that you think yep your your PLU. Nice I'll open this up to the floor anyone can jump in. Yeah, uh, I mean, when we look for students, uh, first of all, I, I think like people build culture. When you bring in someone new, they will affect the culture uh, for sure. And and you have to see that as a positive, I think. Uh, and when we look for students, I mean, we look for mindset more than anything. And we actually strive actively to, to have students uh, from all walks of life. Uh, we recently started like looking into more international students and, and you know, uh, and that ends up being a real benefit to to all the students because if I, as a uh, you know stereotype programmer, Swede, has to work with a, a Indian designer who been through a different experience, I, I learn from that and I improve from uh, from that. So I, I think we shouldn't be protective of our culture, but work hard on taking the good parts, leaving out the bad parts, and inviting people into our culture. 
uh, and, and let them uh, change it positively. But I think it requires effort and, and, and that effort needs to be conscious. You need to work on it. You, you can't let it happen by chance. Yeah, I think um, I think we're we have some pretty like, quite well defined um, culture, like culture fit that we're looking for when we're hiring. Um, so given that we are like a smaller team uh, in sort of like the grand scale of the games industry, um, and we do want to have like keep our teams relatively small. Um, I think one of the kind of like the things we're looking for is is really like that people are humble. Uh, you sort of like you, no matter how senior you are, you always like come into a discussion with like a humble attitude that like you don't have all the answers to everything. Um, and then also that people really um, like to get down and dirty. Um, so normally in the project, we don't have anyone that aren't touching the actual game code. Uh, it's like everyone is in there um, and you all push in the same direction. And and that's I find this is very much a mindset. Um, some people come in with really, really um, good looking CVs and high qualifications from other jobs, uh, but they just don't fit the mindset of um, fix it yourself. Um, they they expect um, because they come from like a bigger company or something like that, that someone else is going to handle this for them. And in our case, it's no, like your mindset has to be like, I'm the one doing this uh, and I, I enjoy um, touching like core parts of the machine. Daniel, can I ask, you said you're looking for humble candidates. Why? Like, why, why is it so important that someone needs to be humble? <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's obviously like, it's, it's kind of like, it's a conscious company choice that we want people um, that are like this. And um, we don't like, it's, it's like the most cliche management thing to say, right? But we don't want hierarchies. We want it to be flat that, and you can't, you can't, have that flatness if um, if the leads uh, on a project um, like aren't humble. Um, so I think it's it's particular something in the more senior positions that we don't want people in the team that uh, that feel like okay, I'm I've been doing this for ten plus years. I'm so amazing, and everyone should sort of like uh, be in awe of uh, of my experience and what I've done. Um, that's that's just not what we want. And other companies want that and they make great games and it's like it's it's not like a recipe to uh, to succeed or fail it's just a choice yeah i think it for for mag it's um it sounds similar i think we you always need to be careful that you're not like like you can't say you're not hiring people like you and i think that is a trap that some companies can um can fall into uh we you know we really value at mag um our company values, and I think that's what drives um, how who we hire and the type of, of people they are, and it helps the culture to to evolve. The main things that we value are you know, similar. What Daniel said: uh, humility, trust, autonomy, honesty. And if you see that coming through when you speak to somebody, that sort of level of of authenticity, um, and you get a feeling that they're 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 competent, they're able to work autonomously. Um, and you think they'll get on well with the rest of the teams as well. I think in, in mobile, especially in small teams, you've got to think more carefully about the mix of, of personalities uh, as well as the skill set. And that doesn't mean you're just going to hire people all of the same 
mindset and personality type because you can have a good mix of of bringing in someone with a bit more hustle or someone with a bit more innovation or stability or a, a more stability kind of mindset and they can still be a great culture fit and they can help the culture to to evolve i think yeah it's, it's kind of come up for culture is not a static point it's not a thing for for a company to have as long as you keep the values um central then the culture will evolve based on the people we hire and and the people's journeys through through mag so you know maybe it's, it's better to kind of think about the shared values rather than a, a kind of a shared value fit rather than a, a culture fit yeah, uh, I think that with humble people, because I, I truly love humble people, but I, I think that creates like office heroes. Uh, and I think, I don't know, maybe it's easier in smaller companies because you can kind of free float a little bit. But one of my fondest memories is at my old working place, uh, Udebild Skolan in Stockholm, it was just starting up. My first week there, I mean, we were planning lectures and so on but then we assembled IKEA furniture uh, I don't know maybe that's a very Swedish thing to do but it, it was like a team building thing and, and no one was above that and, and that made the team stronger and we connected and I mean for me an office hero is someone who can you know wants to help and they don't wait for you to ask for help I mean we offer help uh, and when you have that in a company you know it, it just boosts morale and every everyone is happier and you know you get things done and you don't have to argue about it so i think with if, if you can kind of instill that kind of culture in your company uh the, the team will just be happier uh, by far yeah I, I i completely agree on the whole uh, uh assembling ikea furniture that i have similar memories um, but yeah, I think I think I guess like the whole uh, thing about people like us, I guess it's it's for me it also like it's like how deep does it go, right? Because I think if you hire people like the people like us based on like very superficial demographics, so like oh, I'm only looking for like white males um, from like like Western countries between 25 and 35, uh, which I mean there's a lot of the games industry described described right there. Um, then obviously it's problematic, right? Um, but I think when you define like people like us as in like oh someone who uh, is humble um is like willing to uh, to take on tasks and is like proactive then i don't necessarily see that as a problem in like having fairly uniform hiring as long as you sort of like you go past the um the more sort of like um, surface demographics i agree we have about if you if you go for a job at Unity at the moment, you get you have to go through so many um, so many interviews <laughs> to get to the uh, sort of the final stages because of this exact thing of being able to get through uh, all of the um, the ethics that we have at Unity, uh, being able to provide um, proof that you can do active listening and uh, you understand about inclusivity and you can you know not only just proving your skills from a cv point of view but that you understand empathy and you know there's a lot of skills that we look for um but i mean personally i look for that sparkle the can i talk to you as a human <laughs> human to human can we chat about things and not in that kind of very corporate way that lots of people can fall into you know where you're saying i you've sent me this google document we need to discuss it is you know can i just chat to you and be like look we need to talk about this topic so i look for that and i look for um being able to communicate 
beautifully and and being passionate I think being having passion for what you do and and who you not necessarily who you work for but like the people that you work for you've got to be able to want to work in a team and want to work on the on the on the games that you do and I think that's part of the beauty of the games industry is that there is so much fun to be had um, and it's not just a job I think as soon as you start looking for things as just a job you can sort of lose that sparkle don't you but um, I love your humble thing Daniel I think that's really that's really brilliant <laughs> uh, this is a really interesting topic but I mean some people have that naturally some some develop that skill but how how do how do you work with like people who might be on, on, uh, autistic and you know functional variation because some people might not be that interactive uh, things like that and and how do we because I I feel like a lot of the times people with that exp uh, background doesn't get the same opportunities as other they they can't be be as proactive as others to 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 get in contact with the, with the industry how do, how do you if you do how do you work with kind of including them i think you've got to look for there's so much that you can look for in a candidate in that case isn't there so if they don't have the 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 sparkle then they'll have the communication skills or they'll have the passion for games and they'll be able to talk to you about what games they're playing and what books they're reading and all of that um there's always going to be something which is why we have so many different um areas of uh, ethics to go through and and so many interview processes and so you meet everyone on the team more or less before you end up at the final stages which is really good because then if one person doesn't click with the candidate somebody else might you know two three other people might do so it's really good to have those um those different levels in that case Yeah, I think it's important that you kind of you give people, you know, when they're whether they're employed and working for you or whether they're uh, going through the process or trying to work out whether whether you're a good fit. There's this kind of psychological safety we, we, we talk about where people are, are able to to be themselves and express themselves without fear of of any criticism or or being kind of undermined or feeling threatened and then that's the kind of the way that you can you can kind of get to understand people when you're when you're trying to hire them or when you're working with them as well so um, we again it's a similar process we have lots of different um, conversations with people on on someone's hiring journey to to kind of try and get to grips with with who they are as a as, as a person and then to try and understand how they're going to contribute and, and if they're going to be happy and satisfied at MAG. You know, I, I don't think um, uh, sometimes it maybe maybe culture fit can feel like it's a, an exclusive club, but actually it may, we don't want to hire somebody if um, they're going to have a rubbish time when they join us, even no matter how talented they are. It's, so there's a, there's a, a trade-off between, between this kind of, interviewing and getting to know somebody when they come on there and then it needs to be kind of approached from both sides equally i'm remembering my interview process revolution now and after hearing what you guys have said i just realized what they were doing you know i was chatting to all those different uh people seeing who i click and it was funny because i uh 
chatted with uh, Matthew, who's kind of one of the people who you have to go through through the interview. And if he doesn't like you, yeah, you'll know kind of thing. And I was lucky in that he, he liked me. And I find it funny because I chatted to like five people. And in my head, so many interview stages, like, won't they put some people off? But no, you need to make sure, right? It's not, it's not a thing that you're like, oh, let's hire them. If it works, it works. You really need to kind of make sure that they're invested as well. And also you don't want to find out things that you could find out in an interview process, right? So it's a balancing thing. Awesome. Thank you for that, everyone. So moving on to last but not least, Tone, what is your question? Um, it's kind of a common thread, I guess, with all the all the kind of things we've spoken about. And I was curious about how important the the balance is between either a specialization or interest in games and and broader interests outside of games for, for people that were thinking about hiring or, or, or graduates and, and where this this balance point is. I think it comes because a trait that I can be wary of um, is is people who only have games as a point of reference. If they only play games, then does that make it harder to empathize with, in, in our case, a very mobile, a, a very casual uh, audience that we make game for? How well are they going to be able to, uh, to get on with the team that might be made up of a wide range of different types of people? And are they going to be bringing ideas that are more in line with what they're interested in rather than what we we know our audience is interested in? So, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's an interesting point because obviously we want passion about games. We want people to um, to really want to and enjoy working and making games. It's, but we're we're making fun things, and that that should come through in, in what what work people do. But does a broader set of interests mean they um they can sometimes bring more to the table i'm liking i'm interested cat what do you think i hope so because i got into the games industry without really being a gamer in any way <laughs> and for ages i didn't want to tell anyone <laughs> <laughs> that's funny uh, I'm a reader i have been since i could literally read words i've never had less than one book on the go at a time um and it obviously opens up so many worlds and cultures and people and I'm not going to start on like why reading is brilliant but um it allowed me to understand the world of games so much more uh and I and I play more games now obviously um but I feel like a, an understanding of narrative really helped me with that but we have so many people around us with so many different passions that you can't just say, well, if you don't play games, you're not one of us, because that's mad. Games have so much within them that you can access, you know, from all sorts of different passions. If you're interested in art or um, music or, you know, books or film, there's so much that goes into into a good game that you can get from different places. Um, and you can always become a gamer. My mum thought she wasn't a gamer until I pointed out how many games she plays on a mobile phone. <laughs> no, it's like, I'm sorry to break it to you, but <laughs> you are a hardcore gamer, mother, because you're playing <laughs> yeah. ten hours a day or four hours a day. I mean, when you do the math, sometimes, like when I check on my phone, it says how much time you spent on X game. You're like, oh, sh you <laughs> snap! That's funny. Dan, what do you, uh, Daniel? Sorry, what do you think? All right. Um, yeah, I actually, uh, I guess I'm I'm a little bit on the other other side then, uh, because for us it's um, 
for most positions uh, in our teams, it's it's basically a no go if you're not a gamer, um, because it's um, in part because um, like just the type of games we make, we make fairly hardcore games, uh, and there's just there's so much um, there's so much shorthand that is used by by referencing other games that talking to someone who does not play games and someone who does not play like the type of games that you want to make becomes really difficult if you have to explain everything in detail instead of just saying um oh we want to use a checkpoint system like in this game or we want to have like the type of mobility like in this game or gameplay feel like in that game and and not understanding that innately i think it's basically becomes like quite a big uh, hindrance in the long run for, for the person and for that person to collaborate with other people. And there's, I'm going to throw some asterisks on that, of course, but like obviously like the more I would say like you're in on the creative side or like the people who are like building the vision and, and forming the vision, um, the more important it is. Um, if you're like in a very niche, very sort of like specialized, something that is more, uh, um, I can't think of anything, but uh, but but I, there are some positions where it's maybe not as necessary. But I I think it's um, for us it's it's almost like a must um, just of the size of team we are. But then on the flip side, uh, I also think like um, interests outside of gaming are super important. Um, and I think for example, a lot of our artists, um, if they weren't interested in movies and like how how does a, a movie use um, VFX and can we push our game into using some of the same things and just pulling references from like canvas art and everything uh, I think is, is super important and I think that's kind of like how we how we make things better but yeah games is number one and then everything else is a very nice bonus. Would you consider someone at a like an intern level who wasn't playing games but was eager to learn <laughs> i'm interested to this like no games experience is a flat no um i think for i mean my experience personally I, my first job was as a production assistant in a small interactive company making little games and whilst i wasn't a gamer you know my, my interview process was like do you play games and i said no not really uh, but you know, I'm happy to learn, and I learn everything I know about games just from being involved and learning the lingo, and then looking it up later, or you know, playing games that somebody would mention, and I'd go home and like have a look, and I picked up as I went along. But had I not been given that opportunity, if they'd said a hard no, I think I would be in a very different place right now. <laughs> I think actually, a producer is probably the one of the ones where I would be like a little bit more open to it uh, because there's a lot of other skills that are very necessary uh, when it comes to production. Um, uh, but but I was also thinking, for example, like would I would I take a UX designer that has not played games? I'm not sure I would because it's just yeah, the that's... amount of the amount of effort it takes for them to build like like a, like a reference for like okay how do other games handle this problem? Um, I, I'm just not sure that I would trust Mom's dev time, right? <laughs> I would, I would just, I would, I'm not sure I would trust the person to actually be able to do that work um, to that like that upfront uh, investment that is required. Yeah, I suppose it depends on the role and the level of the role as well. I also think like uh, for, for some companies, of course, maybe you need to be more of a hardcore gamer. For some, it's more open. 
but I think if your only point of reference is other games, uh, you won't make something that stands out or brilliant. No, not necessarily true, but I mean, potentially. I mean, Assassin's Creed wouldn't be, I mean, if someone didn't enjoy history, Assassin's Creed wouldn't be a game. Um, so I think it's important to to look at outside references and enjoy the world. And then you also have the the mental health aspect. I mean, I see that in students. You know, they they live games, they breathe games, they make games. All their friends are uh, play games. At one point, you need to maybe sit down and talk to well, someone who doesn't like games, or, or yeah, yes, because I mean, your your world can't revolve around one thing. That that's that's not sane at one point. Yeah, I think you. I agree with you, Chris. I don't think. I mean, maybe it's because we're game developers. It went quite binary there for to like people who had no interest in games. I don't think it's as. I think that would be harder to um to to justify. But I think you definitely need the balance, and uh, I guess a a portfolio of of interest helps you to be a healthier, more rounded person, which I would hope would mean that you um you can provide a healthier, more rounded uh, set of opinions or set of experiences to, to decisions you make. I mean, but, you know, absolutely there are people whose encyclopedic knowledge of, of certain UI or, or something can, can really help to, to speed development and to, and to get things going. So it's, 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 a, it's a mix of that. But I agree that I have sometimes thought it was potentially unhealthy or or unproductive for especially students whose whose sole point of reference is, is games and they, they live eat breathe stream a hundred percent of the time and and there's much more that that I'm looking for when when we're we're trying to bring someone into a company I like it nice so I had a bit of a follow-up question. So let's say someone's only interested in games. At one point in like, let's say the interview process, do you bring it up or is this kind of a thing that you just like, oh, you know, you just kind of reject them after the fact? Because I'm wondering how binary it is. If anyone has any thoughts on that. I don't, sorry, go ahead. That's all right. I don't, I don't think it's binary at all, actually. I think what you would do is you'd get a picture of the person and you speak to them. I think it would be unfair to to reject somebody because they are super passionate about games. You, it, it would play into um, how well you think they, 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 they came across and how deep their, their understanding of, of what we're asking them to do is. Um, it would certainly... Uh, play into any decision points for whether they'd be, for example, if they only show an interest in 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 AAA console games, and you're 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 looking for somebody to work on casual puzzle games as a service, then maybe they 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 would find that a struggle or boring or or less exciting. So you would um you you continue to dig in and just try and make sure that the the fit is there. Um, so it's never it's never that binary when you speak to people, you know. And, and I, I wouldn't want to feel like we're I'm down on people who are extremely passionate about about the things that we make. 
yeah, I think for us, it's also like it's I don't think we would ever like on, on that sole reason decline anyone like saying, like, oh, no, you're too passionate about games. Um, but I think it's 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 again like coming back to the to the, to the values thing we we're talking about is that um, I think if people show like outright disdain for anything else than games, I think that would probably be a red flag for me. Like if people are like, oh, like books, ugh, like who wants to read that? Who wants to read, right? That's for like lame people. Uh, whatever, right? I've never heard that, but <laughs> I'm just imagining. I think that would probably be like, uh, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's that's a bit strange. Like that's maybe something to dig into. Uh, but then like as Tone is saying, it's also just like being interested in games doesn't necessarily mean that you want to make the games that I as a company am producing. Um, there's very different types of games and um, like you might even have that disdain, right? You have it like often or maybe more historically, hopefully between um, like mobile free to play and like the more premium console. Um, mm. I think hopefully that is that is subsiding, but but it has obviously obviously been there. Lovely. I think a theme of this podcast is it's never binary. And obviously that is a theme in a lot of questions, but I feel like we've understood a lot of the reasons why something would uh, be beneficial or maybe is a red flag. So if you depending, because this, I feel this podcast has a bit of everything for anyone in the gaming industry. If you're on a hiring manager side or the person being hired, or you're looking to join the gaming industry from the get-go and maybe looking at a university, there's always a lot of food for thought. So I think this is a great podcast, a lot of things to think about. And yes, it always depends, but I think it always makes sure like, why does it depend? And if you're listening to that, you know, just have a, have a little think. So I'll, we'll leave it there. So this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank Krista, Daniel, Tone and Kat. You've all been great. Thank you for providing your insights into the topic. And thank you all for listening at home. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, or even if you just want to chat, reach out to me on LinkedIn at Harry Foku. Foku is spelled P-H-O-K-O-U. Thank you, everyone.